If you enjoy listening to this podcast, we ask you to consider supporting it by making a reoccurring or one-time donation. Visit Mayflower's website at www.mayflowerucc.org and click on the Donate Now button. Donations made to Mayflower's Radio Fund are tax-deductible and go toward keeping this podcast available. Thank you for your support. The sermon you are about to hear was preached at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church of Oklahoma City by the Reverend Lori Walkie, Associate Minister at one of America's premier liberal Protestant pulpits. At Mayflower, we are an open and affirming peace and justice church where we believe that religion should be biblically responsible, intellectually honest, emotionally satisfying, and socially significant. We go now to the pulpit of Mayflower UCC Church of Oklahoma City and to the preaching and teaching of Reverend Lori Walkie. The scripture lesson this morning comes from 2 Kings, the second chapter, the first 12 verses under the heading, Elijah Ascends to Heaven. Now when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind, Elijah and Elijah were on their way from Gilgal. Elijah said to Elijah, stay here for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. But Elijah said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. The company of prophets who were in Bethel came out to Elijah and said to him, do you know that today the Lord will take your master away from you? And he said, yes, I know, Keep, keep silent. Elijah said to him, Elijah, stay here, for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. But he said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. The company of prophets who were at Jericho drew near to Elijah and said to him, do you know that today the Lord will take your master away from you? And he answered, yes, I know, be silent. Then Elijah said to him, stay here, for the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. But he said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. Fifty men of the company of prophets also went and stood at some distance from them as they were both standing by the Jordan. Then Elijah took his mantle and rolled it up and struck the water. The water was parted to the one side and to the other until the two of them crossed on dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elijah, tell me what I may do for you before I am taken from you. Elijah said, please let me inherit a double share of your spirit. He responded, you have asked a hard thing, yet if you see me as I'm being taken from you, it will be granted you, if not, it will not. As they continued walking and talking, a chariot of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them, and Elijah ascended in a whirlwind into heaven. Elijah kept watching and crying out, Father, Father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. But when he could no longer see him, he grasped his own clothes and tore them in two pieces. Here ends this reading inspired by God. May God grant to us wisdom and courage for interpretation. Scripture is surprisingly casual 
about the departure of one of Israel's greatest prophets. I mean, we almost miss it. Now, when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind, what? When did God decide this? Who ordered the whirlwind? No nursing home for Elijah. I mean, what a way to go. The lectionary's selection of this text is, on its face, a celebration of two of Israel's greatest prophets and the transition of prophetic power. They are miracle-working prophets, and their exploits are known far and wide. This is especially true of Elijah, who the author of Kings takes great pains to compare to Moses. Just as Moses chose Joshua to succeed him, Elijah chooses Elisha, Parting the waters on his way out of Israel, Elijah mimics Moses' own actions at the Red Sea. Elijah, though, definitely outdoes Moses in his exit strategy. Moses died and was buried like a normal person. But Elijah, well, he is taken up to heaven by a whirlwind. Oddly, the text doesn't focus too much on the whirlwind. There's that nonchalant mention of it in the first verse, and then just a two-verse description of it at the end. Instead, much is made of Elijah and Elisha's long goodbye. They make quite a journey together, followed by several groups of prophets who have the bedside manner of Nurse Ratchet. These prophets pester Elisha over and over again. Do you know your master is going to be taken from you today? Saying goodbye is difficult enough without an audience. It's a tough call whether it's harder to be the one leaving or harder to be the one left behind. The one leaving is heading into the unknown the one left behind is returning to the known, but without the person who makes the known make sense. And on top of the real pain of losing one you love, Elisha must also do something with the heavy expectations that accompany his grief. He is not just losing Elijah, he's facing an inheritance. Elisha must figure out how to carry on the work, manage everyone's expectations, honor his teacher, and move the people into a new reality. It is a tall order. He has big shoes to fill. Tradition has tended to emphasize a heroic view of Elijah. This tradition lifts up Elijah's courageous confrontation of unjust and murderous powers in 1 Kings. It highlights Elijah's mercy his life-giving miracles for a non-Israelite widow and her only son. It lifts up his ability to discern God's voice in the sound of silent stillness rather than in the pounding of thunder and earthquakes. He is recognized for his faithfulness in serving God despite the dangers it poses. In short, Elijah is a hero of the covenant, Moses come back to life, a witness of God's mercy and justice for those without power, a hope for freedom from slavery, celebrated in an African-American spiritual swing low sweet chariot. It is no wonder 
that Elisha asks for a parting gift from his teacher, this mighty man of God. Please, please let me inherit a double share of your spirit, he says. Note that Elisha does not request Elijah's mantle or his staff. Elisha knows that Elijah's stuff isn't what he needs, which is good to remember when grandma dies. Any minister can tell you stories about family feuds over stuff. Fights over the good china, the antique quilts, who gets the big screen TV. Sometimes it feels like the only thing they're grieving over is what they ain't gonna get. But Elisha does what any aspiring heretic would do. He asks for a double portion of Elijah's spirit. When Elisha calls Elijah father as he ascends on the chariot, it is clear that this is not a professional relationship, not just about a shared prophetic calling, but a relationship between father and son, family. When Elisha asks for a double share of Elijah's power, he is asking for something that cannot be put into a will or spelled out in a trust. Elijah isn't even sure he can fulfill such a request. You have asked for a hard thing, he says. I mean, how does grandmother pass on her spine of steel or a grandfather his stubborn streak? How exactly does one pass down prophetic power? As with any family legacy, this one has far-reaching and unintended consequences. Inheritance isn't just about getting dad's eyes or mom's dark hair. Addiction can be passed down just as easily, along with a bad temper and chronic discontent, although we don't talk about that as much. Elijah's legacy is no different. He does not just pass down the hero's narrative although Christian tradition makes it seem so, we have often been reluctant to name the troublesome political and cultural dynamic of the prophet. It's not just Elijah, of course. People get uncomfortable when the preacher points out that David, who was called a man after God's own heart, was a rapist and a murderer. That might be more clear had Bathsheba been the one to write the account of what happened to her and to her husband because of David. Elijah's legacy is just as disturbing. We see it most clearly in his battle against Jezebel, who is cast as his arch enemy. Even those who don't know her whole story know that Jezebel is a bad girl of the Bible. We do not name our daughters Jezebel. In the New Testament, her name is a generic catchword for a horrible, non-believing female adversary. This is how thoroughly the hero narrative has permeated Elijah's story. In the biblical text, Jezebel is contrasted and juxtaposed with the prophet Elijah. She worships Baal, he worships Yahweh. She is a woman, he is a man, she is a foreigner, he is a native, she has monarchic power, he has prophetic power. Finally, he wins. She is pushed out of a window, trampled by horses, and eaten by dogs. But if we were to more evenly compare Elijah and Jezebel, their actions are parallel 
highlighted by the best-known episode of their relationship when Elijah calls down fire from heaven to consume a bull slaughtered for an offering. Both Elijah and Jezebel are religious zealots, just on opposite teams. In chapter 18 of 1 Kings, the storyteller reports that Jezebel is hunting down and killing prophets of God with a fair amount of success. So Elijah challenges Jezebel to assemble all of Baal's prophets on Mount Carmel. He intends to settle once and for all their disagreement over who speaks authentically for the divine. The rest of the chapter is a bloodbath. After fire rains down from heaven, Elijah orders that all of Baal's prophets be seized and killed, specifying that not one of them is to escape. Elijah does not just emulate Jezebel's religious zeal. He surpasses her. At the end of the day, Elijah has scored a victory for God, but 850 people are dead. And it goes down in history as justified, noble, good, not as a massacre. This is the legacy with which Elisha had to contend. It turns out that Elisha did get a double portion of Elijah's spirit, for better and for worse. I wish I could report it was just for the better that he steered away from the violence so common a theme with Elijah. But here's what happens 10 verses from where we are now. Some small boys begin to heckle him about his bald head. Go away, bald head! Go away, bald head! I mean, it's right there if you want to read it. <laughs> they taunt the hair follicle challenged prophet. But instead of explaining to the boys that male pattern baldness is genetic, Elisha curses them, and two she-bears come out of the woods and maul the boys. Elisha does not offer first aid. Violence marks the rest of his life and ministry, and it is no coincidence that things do not go well for the people he was trying to lead. These prophets, capable of so much good, placed ideological commitments above justice and compassion. They normalized depicting other cultures and religion as foreign, loathsome, and death-dealing. They were so sure God was on their side, their actions often mirrored the actions of the hated other. And when faced with violence, they returned it, and then some. Of course, it was not just Elisha who had to contend with such a legacy. By the time we get to the New Testament, Jesus is compared to Elijah and must decide what to do with such an inheritance. In Luke chapter 9, the disciples felt that Jesus was being disrespected by some Samaritans and asked, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them just as Elijah did? Jesus has to decide. What legacy will he continue? Jesus knows, though, that if you keep doing what you've always done, you'll always get what you've always got. So he turns away from violence and towards life. You do not know what manner of spirit you are of, he says, for the Son of Man did not come to destroy lives, but to save them. He would follow this path 
all the way to Jerusalem, fighting the empire not with violence, as so many had tried before, but by offering free health care, listening to women, and strong community organizing. And when the end came near and Peter pulled his sword out, Jesus told him to put it away. Death would not be defeated by violence, but by the power of love. And they never could close the Jesus file. And now it is our turn. We have a choice about picking up the mantle of violence or bearing the cross of love. So, church, we have some decisions to make about who we are and whom we don't want to be. We have the script in hand. We know there are different endings available to us. We must contend with what we have inherited. The church has justified slavery, misogyny, and xenophobia, and yet the arc of the biblical narrative speaks to freedom, equality, and hospitality. So which will we carry forward? I mean, the choice is ours. We have inherited the legacy of slavery, our original sin, but we have a chance to say with one voice, black lives matter, and then pass the mic to people of color and let them lead. They know the Exodus story, that it leads to freedom, if only the white church will listen. So let's listen. We have inherited an immigration system built on racism and a penchant for choosing legalism over love. We can pretend that dreamers who missed the application deadline are lazy, or we can acknowledge that they have no reason to trust people who want them to hand over their parents for deportation. Scripture cannot be more clear about our responsibility to the stranger and the foreigner so let us lean into our welcome mat mandate. We have inherited a bond with Israel that has blessed the bloody mess of its occupation of the West Bank, East Jerusalem, and the Gaza Strip, and their systematic human rights violations against Palestinians living there. If we are truly a friend of Israel and faithful to the God of peace, we cannot continue to defend their strategy of dispossession and illegal settlements. We must begin to put all our effort into a solution that recognizes the dignity of all who hold Jerusalem sacred. This is important so much more in light of yesterday's events in Syria. We have inherited a brand of Christianity that comes wrapped in the American flag and confuses patriotism with faithfulness. But our story tells us that when Rome threw a military parade, Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey and then overturned the tables in the temple in the name of economic justice. So we can throw a military parade that costs millions, or we can bring our veterans home and use that money on the trauma care they desperately need. And since we have yet to create peace through war, we might consider throwing ourselves into a peace through justice strategy. We know what an eye for an eye does. So will we continue to call down fire from heaven or will we take our lead from Jesus? Bill Coffin reminded us that our influence as a people was greatest when as a nation we were weakest 
We rallied far more hopes and energies when we had no rockets and no muscle. Today, our danger may lie in becoming more concerned with defense than with having things worth defending. In contending with our inheritance, we cannot help but think about what legacy we will leave. Will our children have a choice about what mantle they pick up, a mantle of peace or a mantle of war? Will they see where we chose a different path as a matter of faith? There, there is a hymn for this, you know, a hymn that acknowledges that this turning away from violence and the status quo and towards peace and justice is intentional work. As the hymn says, I'm pressing on the upward way, new heights I'm gaining every day, still praying on, I'm upward bound. Oh, plant my feet on higher ground. My heart has no desire to stay where doubts arise and fears dismay. Though some may dwell where these abound, my prayer, my aim is higher ground. So let us sing about it and then live it that the world we are building will be fit for our children to inherit. You've been listening to the preaching and teaching of Reverend Lori Waukee, Associate Minister at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church of Oklahoma City. More information about the church can be found at mayflowerucc.org or by visiting Mayflower's Facebook page. Worship services are every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. with adult education classes at 10 a.m. Mayflower also has a full church school for children of all ages available during the 11 a.m. service. Mayflower is located on Northwest 63rd Street, one block west of Portland. Thank you for listening.